How's everybody doing? Married, great, married. Congratulations. It was pretty cool at the at the wedding. I was looking at some of the groomsmen, and I officiated some of their weddings too. And I was like, I've got a pretty good record so far. Like everybody seems to be doing well. <laughs> Everything's going well. I'm doing all right. Not that it's all about me, but I was just like, it's just doing all right. But congratulations, you guys. Y'all are awesome. It was a beautiful wedding for sure. And uh, yay, y'all are married. Good job with that. Um, <laughs> I got lots of funny stories. We'll talk about those later. All right. Um, yeah, so I want to, we, we've been talking, roll tide. We've been talking about, <laughs> we've been talking about rest. Last week we talked about rest, and then I'm going to kind of continue talking about rest, but we're going to kind of tackle another subject, and we're leading into next month. I think what I want to do is I want to kind of go back to basics, and Brian Danny actually brought this up. We were having a conversation a couple weeks ago about just New Covenant Christianity, and we were thinking, man, we need to, we need to really like dissect that a little bit and walk through it and see what that looks like because ultimately that's the only covenant we have available to us so we should probably know what that means and you yeah and and it works its way into a lot of my sermons anyway but I just want to kind of like we did through the gifts I want to kind of talk a little bit more about it and kind of break it down and we may have Brian may speak or Buddy may speak about it we may bounce around a little bit Um, but that's kind of what I want to lead towards so we're kind of springboard as we end this month and go into next month uh, kind of working towards new covenant Christianity if you don't know what that means, there were two covenants. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. Um, the old covenant is old. The new covenant is new. All right, amen. Y'all can go now. No, there's a lot, there's a lot more. T- it really is that simple, but it's so much more complicated too. But we're, it's going to take some time to kind of work through that, and I, I want to invite you guys to kind of pray with us and, and read, uh, even when you're not at church. What? No. Uh, read, yeah, no. Uh, read your Bibles, n- not out of fear or, ob- or obligation, but because there's lots of treasures in there that you can find. And the, the biggest one is Jesus, which is what the whole thing's about. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that because it's good, not because I want you to feel bad about it. Just like everybody that's at the beach today, I'm not mad at them at all. I'm just, I just wish they would have invited me. I can preach by the pool. I don't know why we couldn't all go there. No. I, saw, I just saw a bunch of posts this morning. I was like, oh, man, they're not going to be here. It's there at the beach. But I'm kidding. But seriously, I could preach by the pool. All right. So we're going to talk about New Covenant Christianity, and one of the things that comes up uh, a lot of times when we talk about New Covenant, and well, really in church in general, and really what I heard a lot of when I was growing up, when I would actually visit churches, when I would go to different churches, was there was this great emphasis on sin and the enemy and the devil, and I really didn't know why that never really sat right with me until I was born again and realized how big of a deal Jesus was, um, that I realized that it doesn't mean that sin and the enemy's not there and doesn't cause problems. It just means that there's something much more greater that we can focus on. But even saying that, I want to kind of talk about uh, New Covenant Christianity and how we resist the enemy, resist the devil in the New Covenant. So that's what we're going to kind of walk through today. So we're going to start in James uh, 4.6, and he says, uh, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Move this here. I can't see it. He resists, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And right after that, he says, therefore, submit to God. No one really likes to hear that word submit. We always think of it as with some kind of negative connotations that we have to submit um, as though it's going to be something scary, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So it says submit to God, and then it follows up with resist again. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I think it's interesting that he kind of tied those two together, and we're going to take this a little bit further. Um, in 1 Peter 5, 5, very similarly... It says, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. 
For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There he says it again. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be Yeah, be sober. She was excited about that. <laughs> or he? I don't know. That was a he. For he... Uh, <laughs> He's a boy. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant, not vigilant, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now let's stop there. He, he, we'll tackle the first part first, which is a good place to start. Um, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he says this right after he talks about, or, or right after that, he talks about submitting to God and resisting the devil and he'll flee from you. Now, what do you think this means if he's talking about resisting those two, two places? Where do we learn to resist the devil? From God. What does he resist? The proud, right? What does it mean when we resist the devil? We're essentially resisting pride, even in, in, in ourselves. Now, we like to, this is a, a common thing, we like to think of the devil with the horns and the little tail and the pitchfork and everything, and he's red and there's flames. Um, but more, more times than not, I've seen throughout life that the devil is much more slick than that. He's not, he's not running around with pitchfork and being scary and everything. Now, he does use fear and intimidation, but he uses it in a much more subtle way. That's what I've seen uh, in my ridiculously long life. So um, when we look at resisting the devil, sometimes we are resisting something that we deal with ourselves, which is pride. When God says, I resist the pride, but I give grace to the humble, he's given us a good picture of what that looks like. When, and a good, another good example is when he talked about the, the Pharisees talking about them and how they were and how they were like real bad. <laughs> and they were dealing with all the things that they were dealing with, he was like, you guys are shutting the kingdom up and you won't even let anybody go in to the kingdom. They were very proud of what they had accomplished and they were on a very works-based system or performance-based system. He's trying to show us here that his kingdom works in a completely different way for us to operate in humility, even how we operate amongst ourselves with elders and friends, that we should be humble to one another, that we should be kind, that we shouldn't be proud. Um, another fun fact here, when he talks about being sober, being vigilant, uh, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Now, lions don't roar when they're on the hunt. They're quiet. The only reason I can think of that a, a lion would roar is to try to make someone afraid, which makes sense because that's all the devil really has. The only, the only power the devil has is something that you give him. He has no real power or authority to do anything, but we can give him that power. And I use this example. I like movies. For some reason, it's lost on my kids. They don't like movies. Maybe it's technology, and they just look at five-second videos, and they're impatient. But I like movies. I like good movies. I like movies that, like, I feel like I'm a part of. Have you ever watched a movie and your heart starts beating fast and you're, like, very involved? I like those kind of movies that draw you in. Um, that is kind of the idea when we talk about being intimidated by fear or something like that. You can be tricked into thinking something's real even when it's not. I've seen this happen when people say, well, that, that house is haunted or something. And every time, like, an acorn would hit the roof, they think it's, you know, that acorn now is supernatural and it's, it's, it's haunted. Why? Because that seed was planted in their mind, right? They've allowed a, a lie to feel like truth because they believe it, right? So in the same way, when we talk about this, this yeah, when we talk about this, this roaring lion, he is doing it, he is trying to intimidate from fear. He doesn't have any power to really do anything because why? He's already defeated. Jesus said it was finished. He didn't say it was kind of finished. He said it was finished. He completed the work that was put before him. So when we, when we see this, I always like the story uh, a buddy of mine told me, and he probably told it much better than I did, but it was a band that was going from, from town to town, and they were playing, and uh, each band member was coming into this one club that they were playing in, and as they walked in, 
there's this big burly guy with tattoos and he was just, you know, six foot something, 200 something pounds, just a big guy. And as he walked in, he had a, a, a piece of paper and as, you know, the bass player came in, he'd say, hey, what's your name? Bass player would tell him his name. He's like, okay, I'm writing down names of people. Bless you. I'm writing down names of people that I can whoop. Basically beat up, but the story was told to me like, whoop, bless you. It's contagious. And so he wrote down, he, he said, uh, what's your name? And the bass player told him his name. He's like, okay, I think I, think I can whoop you. And he said, I'm going to write your name down on my list of people I can whoop. And the bass player's like, all right. And he walks in. And the guitar player comes right behind him, same thing. I'm writing down people I think I can beat up. And I'm going to write your name down. And they go all the way to the drummer. And the drummer comes in and he says the same thing. I'm writing down the name of people I can whoop. And the drummer thinks about it a minute. And he, he says, what's the name? He writes the name down. The drummer walks off and he goes, you know what? I don't, that's not a very good feeling. Like, I don't like my name being on that list. And he goes back and he's like, hey, um, I, don't, I don't want my name on that list. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you can whoop me. And the guy goes, all right. And he scratches it off. <laughs> it was as simple as that. But I always like that story because that's, <laughs> all right. But that's how the devil uses fear and intimidation to try to make you feel like something's going to happen to you even when it doesn't. And that whole idea of fear is just the anticipation of something bad happening. It's not even the substance of it happening anyway. And when you allow that, and this is what I think he's talking about here when he says he's going around like this roaring lion because he's, he's, he's prideful and he's puffing up, right? That was the ultimate sin in the very beginning is he, he was trying to be God. He was trying to puff up and look like he was something that he wasn't. He wasn't God. And so when your enemy comes to you, that's what he's doing. He's trying to fe- use fear and intimidation. And if you allow those seeds to be planted, you can, because belief is the thing that we're struggling with here. It's not just the reality of it because, like I said, that acorn may be a ghost to you now. Right? It's changed what you're thinking about because your focus is on the enemy, not or the, the problem, not the solution. This is why I love when we when we first started coming to deeper life back in the day, Mark preached so much on the answer, not the problem. And it was something that I struggled with even growing up with the music that I listened to. I listened to a lot of 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 music that, that came from areas of poverty and and you know fatherlessness and all these things, and I identified with those things, but they never gave me a solution. They just identified with the problem. And that was what church, when I, when I tried to transition and go to church, it wasn't much different. It was just basically telling me about my problem. And I've left worse, seemed like worse than when I came in. Yeah. No devouring. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say he's going to. It says seeking those who he, whom he may devour. And he's, he can't. Yeah. And that's what I think when... Yeah, resist. And it says very clear, resist. You have every, (laughs) you did good. Good job, Doug. You have, you don't just resist as though you're doing it in your own power. You have authority to resist because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside you. The finished work, this whole new covenant thing that I'm I'm getting to here, this whole new covenant thing is what gives us the power and authority to resist. When he's saying resist here, he's not saying that you need to build up the strength and the uh, abilities or whatever to resist. He's saying Resist, just like God resists the proud, you resist that proud lion that thinks he's going to beat you, that thinks he's going to do something, right? There you go. So verse 9 says resist him. So how do we resist him? Let's go back to how God does. He resists the proud. Verse 9 goes on to say resist him steadfast in the faith. Faith in what? Not faith in what, faith in who is the question we should ask. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus and his finished work. The, the way that we resist, he follows up with the answer to that. We resist steadfast in the faith. 
The only way that we can resist is in the power that God's given us. Just like Doug said, in our weakness, he's made strong. So in those places, even when Paul was talking about there's a thorn in my side, he says, no, my grace is sufficient. What does that mean? Does that mean he doesn't care about the thorn? He's like, no. And I, I like that he never tells us what that is. He never tells us what the thorn in his side was. I think that's, that's, to me, it's clear the Holy Spirit uses that so that we can identify with whatever thing that we're dealing with is just like that thorn, whatever it is, that his grace is sufficient. Does that mean that it just says, oh, I'm not worried about it? No, it means that regardless of our circumstance and everything that's going on around us that we can physically see, there is this invisible kingdom that's placed in our hearts and has made a deposit in this new covenant that he's given us that we can walk through it and be okay. We don't, we don't have to be swayed by it, or the Bible says tossed back and forth like waves. Yes, Melissa? Um, if you look at how, how did Jesus resist the enemy when he was taken to, when he was in the desert? You know, he resisted. First thing he did was he opened his mouth. Mm-hmm. And what came out of it was the life of God that was on the inside of him. It was the word of God. It's just like when you were talking about the guy at the door that was writing everybody's names down. Mm-hmm. The only reason why he, not, he, he, he scratched that guy's name off is because the drummer opened his mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. I mean, if we, follow, if we want to follow the pattern of Jesus, he was full of the word and he was ready to resist. doesn't mean we have to go, oh, I resist you. You know, it's just like, you know, fear. You know what? Thank you, God, that you haven't given me a spirit of fear. What you do is you replace the lie with a truth. And it says you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Yes, go ahead. Okay, additionally, if you look in the Psalms, um, there are lots of times where David is building up his own soul, and he's like, don't be downcast on my soul. And And it's... And I think uh, I was talking with somebody recently, and um, they were always, like, bothered by people, like, doing affirmations because she grew up in a New Age background and then came to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, oh, you say all these positive things so that you actually believe in yourself. It's like sometimes you got to remind yourself who you are. And it's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's reminding me, like, you know what? This is who God is. And it's like, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that that doesn't change. And, like, Jesus was tempted. Like, people, like... We are tempted, and it's not, the problem is not that you're tempted and that makes you imperfect. It's what do you do? Right. It's how do you respond, and it's responding by saying the truth. The, the, the problem is we've, we've integrated our own theology into New Covenant theology where we'll say God helps those who help themselves. You know where that scripture is? Nowhere. Ben Franklin said that. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So the, the thing is we can't it's, – it's very – very, it's very logical for us to look at that from a humanistic point of view that you need, you need to do some things so that you can take it. And I get that within, within our kingdom, but God's kingdom doesn't work like that. We are absolutely helpless in his kingdom without him. But the cool thing is, just like we're talking about opening our mouth, in this world, because it says, as he is, so are we. Where? In this world. As he is, so are we in this world. His kingdom can permeate our kingdom. His kingdom can manifest in our kingdom. His life, like we're talking about speaking, you can give life to people. Not good, not good advice, good news, <laughs> the gospel. When you speak from the Holy Spirit, when you speak to people, the Holy Spirit goes with it and it never returns void. The beautiful thing about the, the casting seed, and I'm getting a little bit off here, but I have to, I have to say this, the whole casting seed that like, people like to argue about the ground for some reason, when <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> The point is not about the ground. You're gonna, the point is don't be discouraged when you run across different types of ground. He's saying cast it anyway. Cast it on the rocks. Cast it on everywhere because you're not the one that makes it grow, right? Some are going to till the toil. Some are going to water. Some are going to plant. But God's the one that brings the increase. 
And he, the cool thing is he even reaps where we don't sow because he's that good. I mean, that blows my mind right there because he's that good that he will reach someone that, that, that doesn't even fully understand the way that we do. He will reach them in a way and he'll give them, he, he's so good that he will find a way. Um, first, do what? It's not always instantaneous. It can be, but it's, most of the time it's not. Anna, I want to encourage somebody in here. I feel like somebody needs to hear this, and this comes from a personal story that um, someone told me that they missed an opportunity, that the Lord told them to do something, and they missed it. And they felt bad about it. And I don't want you to feel bad if you've missed opportunities. God's continuing to do works, and he'll find somebody else to plant that seed. But be encouraged that you recognized it, and next time you will do it because you get to get in on it. It's not that he's angry because you didn't do the, whatever that thing is but it's recognizing that the Holy Spirit was speaking to you in that moment, and even if you missed it that time, you're going to have plenty of other opportunities to do it. So don't be discouraged about that time for whatever reason you missed it because there's going to be more opportunities that he's going to give to speak life. First um, Peter 3.10 says, He who would love life and see good days. I love that phrase. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Listen, life is a gift. He who would love life and see good days. I think that Jesus loved life and saw good days when he was on earth. I think that it was a reality to him. I think the times when we see him weep, he saw where death was uh, felt like a separation and it broke his heart. I think even when he was in the garden and he asked the Father, is there another way that we can do this? And God said no, and he said, no, not my will, but yours be done. I think he would have he been fine finding another way, but he, because he saw what was going to happen, he could feel what was going on. We talked about last week that we don't serve a God that, cannot sympathize with what we go through. He recognizes what you deal with, and he walks with you through it. Correct belief produces correct behavior, not the other way around. Uh, New Covenant Christianity is infinitely infinitely more satisfying than a poor attempt at a covenant that you weren't invited into and also doesn't exist anymore, subsequently. <laughs> uh, when the root's good, the fruit's good. We've talk, you, you know the scripture that talks about, I think it's in Matthew, talks about uh, you don't get uh, fruit doesn't come from thorn trees or thistles from fruit trees basically if if our belief is good what is produced from that belief is going to be good you will and that's where the, we talk about hypocrites and that's what a lot of people will talk about why they don't come to church one is people are too judgmental or they it's, it's, they think it's a list of do's and don'ts which it's not um, and then they think well everybody's hypocrites well we kind of are sometimes but the whole idea of this, this being hypocritical is that you're trying to be something that you're not. But in New Covenant Christianity and being born again is you are because of what he did for you. You're not trying to be anything. You don't have to work towards something. So these fruits of the Spirit, these fruits of righteousness are a byproduct of what's been given to you. I had a conversation with Margaret after church, a really good conversation. I love conversations. We had a pre-service service in my office and we talked. We always, I, love, I love getting together. Like, I want to, we need to set aside, like, one Sunday a month just to have conversations because I love having conversations with you guys. It's good. But in the conversation, um, I had, wait, I lost track of what I was going to say. Huh? Margaret. Oh, yeah, what Margaret was saying. Um, let me remember what she was saying. Man, it was a really good point. Yeah, I started thinking about our conversation this morning. That's how quickly my ADD kicks in. All right, um, what were we talking about? It was so good. Huh? Fruit. We were talking about fruit, byproduct, fruit, byproduct. <laughs> that makes it worse. 
She does say really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Give me just a second. I'm going to think of it. It'll come to me. And if not, then we'll come back to it. Is she online? Ask her. Somebody, somebody ask her what we talked about. Um, hang on. I'll think of it in just a minute. I was, it was just there. Uh, oh, man. All right. I'm going to keep going. And it's going to come back to me. Um, you resist the devil by resting in covenant. Uh, if you were born again, you were in the new covenant. There's, there's no, like, other covenant available to us anymore. Uh, the, one of the stories that we talked about, we talk about all the time, is the story of the prodigal son. And we all like to identify with one of the two brothers, right? But the really deeper truth there is that those two brothers were really representations of Israel and Gentiles, basically. The older brother did all the things, and by, by every account should have received the kingdom and the blessing and the father and all that kind of stuff. The younger brother, literally, he said he went out and blew his money on whores and, like, doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And he came back, which is representative of Gentiles, of how we were worshiping other gods. All of us are Gentiles, as far as I know, um, that we're not Jewish, we're not of the lineage. Well, we are now, but we're not, we weren't originally of the lineage of Israel. And so that story is really of us, that we were invited into a covenant and and as well as Israel is invited into this covenant, but it's a brand new covenant that we don't we didn't have any lineage that really backed it up. It's all by grace that we were even in this, that we even get to be a part of this. We talk about it all the time, and I, I continue to try to emphasize how important it is that kings for centuries desired what you and I have. Like this Holy Spirit that we carry for us to walk. Uh, Doug and I were talking about this morning. We God has always desired to walk next to us in the garden. He walked next to us with Jesus. He walked next to us now. The Holy Spirit is with you, and he walks with you every day. He's always wanted to be close to us. It's always been his desire. And it's always uh, creation's desire to be close to its creator. So it's very natural for us to do that day in and day out. Yes, somebody's got a microphone over here. I wanted to uh, mention something about hypocrisy. You just uh, kind of flew past it. But I think hypocrisy really arises out of works, out of a works mentality. I've got to do stuff for God that looks like this, but I don't look like that. So when I try to do stuff that looks like that, I turn out to be a hypocrite. And um, it makes you mean. It Trying to live what you are not makes you mean. Mm -hmm. But Jesus makes us what he is. And that is wonderful and fills us with his joy. And so it's not painful. And so we don't have to be hypocrites. (laughs) That's true. And then here's this is going to sting a little, probably. But there's a lot of church folk that act like the devil with the fear and intimidation thing. They try to use the same thing, which stems from pride, fear and intimidation to to try to get people to come to God who doesn't operate that way. Do you see how that there's a do you see how people fall away from faith when they have faith in that kind of system? Man, that breaks my heart. And I I mean, I I did it for a season and you probably did, too, not knowing any different, trying to like sweep the leg and trick people into, you know, just like I mean, we were just like, you need to get right. You know, you just want to punch them in the face with the gospel. It's like that's not how God operates. Jesus didn't operate that way. I don't think he ever punched anybody in the face with the gospel. Um, Oh, I remembered it. What we were talking about. Punching people in the face. <laughs> That's not what we were talking about. What we were talking about is the difference um, of, of what we know to be our heart and our mind. That She was asking a question about something that led me to this, but this is what I wanted to talk about. There's, there's 
there was an idea that I grew up with that was your mind is your logic and it's what keeps everything grounded and your heart was your, your um, love and passion and fun stuff, basically. So this was fun and this kind of kept you grounded, right? This is the logic. Be, be wise, be smart, but, but when you follow your heart, you do dumb stuff, right? That's, that was always the thinking or that was always what was taught to me. But when I started reading scripture, and even, even in Eastern medicine, they still focus on a lot on the heart more than the, than the mind. And it's the reason why, and I've said this before too, but it's the reason why the heart can function without the mind. You can be brain dead and your heart will still work. It has its own firing system. Like you can look medically, it works. But it doesn't work the other way around. If your heart stops, brain don't work. So we have to, the, the, I think the reason scripture emphasizes the heart, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes to live, and that's where um, the kingdom is deposited, and that's where God wrote his laws on your heart, but what does he say about the mind? You renew your mind. The heart is what's the foundation, not your mind. Because intellectually, you can learn these things. You can learn things, and you can apply things that you learn. That's good. Those are principles, and you can even use godly principles, and you may be successful because they're good. That does not give you a relationship with the Father, and it does not. You can even, <laughs> you can even raise the sick and heal the dead. I know, I was joking. Or whatever. You can do all the... <laughs> Thank you, though. You can, you, can do all, you can do all those things, but what does the Bible say? Depart from me, I never knew you. The whole thing, and oh, man, this is another pet peeve of mine. The whole thing about heaven and hell. It's like it's been our whole gospel for years. It's heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. Where's Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus. Yes, heaven and hell are real. But we've got this thing. Well, what... Well, does that mean you're going to go to heaven? Does that mean you're going to go to hell? And we've, we've created this whole thing around just that and not around relationship, which is what the gospel is. So what I was talking to uh, Margaret about was changing, changing that, and that changed my whole paradigm. Like, that changed my whole life when I started realizing that, that this deposit that's been made, this gospel is in my heart, that I always, I always say, like, take the however many inches, six-inch, 12-inch challenge and start living from your heart, not your brain, because your brain can be tricked. Same thing with those movies. If you pan out and you see a boom mic and a guy yelling from a megaphone, you're not scared anymore. But you can be tricked. Your mind can be tricked. Oh, this is another thing I learned when I was studying this too, that your heart actually reacts before your brain does to like an emergency. Like when an emergency happens, in the instant that it happens, your heart starts pumping blood faster than your brain can even react to it. And I also love the fact that the heart supplies blood to everything else. It's the source of your body. It, it keeps everything else going. So... Keep this in mind. When you're walking out this Christian life, this new covenant life, when you're born again and the Holy Spirit is deposited in your heart, renew your mind to that truth every day. What does that mean? Am I, do I think that I'm righteous and holy? No. Am I? Yes, because that's deposited. Um, do I think that I can overcome sin? No, I don't think that I can. Can I? Yes. Why? Because as he is, so are we. All the things that we, that we get tricked into either our old life or into thinking that it has power over us, even the intimidation that the devil brings to us can, can trick our minds, but in our heart that's solid, we go, go back to that. And I've said this before out loud. We talked about, uh, you mentioned talking out loud. I do it when I don't realize it. Sometimes I'll sing or I'll whistle and I'll do stuff and I don't even think about doing it. I was, I was out of town one time and, and a fleeting thought came through my head that was bad. It was a bad thought. And I said out loud, nope. <laughs> Which is pretty cool, I think, because I recognized it, and I attacked it, and I said it out loud. Now, the people in the elevator thought it was a little weird. <laughs> what? But I, I audibly, I said it and, it, and it settled me down. I was like, yeah, I don't have to worry about that. 
I know the results of that fleeting thought would be bad. I know that not just from here, but from here. Because I know that God is good and he wants good for me. And if, and if the Holy Spirit says that's going to lead you somewhere that you don't need to be, then I need to say, nope, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um, I think one illustration is David said in, in Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my, where? In my heart, mm-hmm. not in my head. Um, there's, there's a challenge. Like when, when we come before Jesus and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah. It's... It's, it's, the, it's the distinction between knowing a person, which is a heart-driven thing, versus knowing about a person, which is a brain-driven thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, hiding the word in, you know, studying the word is absolutely important, but what happens is studying the word uh, helps us understand the person, which becomes heart knowledge, heart re- relationship, heart understanding. Uh, see, I don't want to dismiss the word study it. Yes, we need that. No, yes, for sure. But don't neglect to drawing near to the person the word talks about because they're not done relating to us. The whole, the whole point, like Mark said, the whole purpose of the, the whole story of the Bible is God gets his family back. Right. It was always about relationship. Mm-hmm. And heaven and hell are simply the results of the nature of your relationship. There you go. It's, it's getting those things in line that I think that's so important, and we've got them out of line. And so when I think when, when we talk about uh, speaking this kind of truth and understanding that it's a reality to us, it's, the, it's kind of the bigger picture, I guess. And, and even the, when the scriptures tell us, you, you, know, you search these scriptures looking for me, and it, it's about me. You're, you're trying to learn about me. That's good. But you need to know these, all these are written about me. And so you can look at a textbook, a, a math book, and it's teaching you about math. It's not teaching about the author of the book. No one cares about the author. You're just learning math. The Bible's different. The Bible is a book about God leading you to know him more, to know him better, to have a better relationship with him. To me, it's what that's the value that I try, I try to emphasize to the kids and youth too. There's value in, in reading the scriptures, not so that you check off a list or that your parents are happy with you or you feel like you did something good, but because there's value to reading it, it can help you in your life. Like learning this stuff will help you in life, not just not just in little parts of your life, but all of it, in school and work. Like, my whole life turned around when I was born again. Like, I started working better at my job. I didn't just just do enough to not get fired anymore. I was like, I'm going to work unto the Lord. It was very basic principles, but it wasn't that I was just learning them and applying them. It was the, it was the reality of God in my heart that produced in me a different type of character at work. It's, it's as simple as that. It's living out something, yeah. Um, going back to like the thorn in the side, we've Helen and I've been watching some stuff about um, basically Christians can be like afflicted by messengers of the devil by like by demons. It's not necessarily always a thought. Some, most of the times it is, but sometimes they actually like can be afflicted and recognizing that and being able to cast it out is super important. Like there's yeah, like sickness and like spirits of oppression and things like that. Like in Second Corinthians, we're looking at where it's talking about like um, <clears throat> can you pull it back up. Sorry, it was like. Um, Power perfected in weakness because of his grace, you know? Mm-hmm. Or is it, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That, right before that, he's talking about being afflicted like a thorn in his side by a messenger of Satan. And he came, he came to the Lord and was like, what's going on with this? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, right. and then, and then, three times. yeah, three times. He says, three times, I, this is Second Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the context of that was he was actually being afflicted by a demon. And God's like, you need to rest in me. What demons don't know, 
could have been spirit of fear, spirit yeah. right, of depression, right. could have been anything. Yeah. And God's like, actually, I'm going to show the gospel through this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to show my goodness through your affliction that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one oh, that gives good. you grace. Yeah. Um, but also, like, on, on New Covenant, Old Covenant stuff, this was, like, this, this was the gospel to me when I was, I actually was, like, saved when I was four and got um, baptized and slain in the spirit when I was 10 and did not under, I guess, I mean, I obviously had faith in Jesus, otherwise it wouldn't have ever happened. Um, but then when I was 19, my friend explained what the old covenant and the new covenant was. And I feel like that was my like real like turning point Yeah, was because I understood like there used to, like there had to be a reconciliation or a payment for sins. Yeah. And so they would take spotless lambs and they would cut them open and they would walk through them. Mm-hmm. As as I mean that was what a covenant was 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 blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so they had to continually do that. And they literally called it cut covenant. They would cut covenant. Yeah. And um and so when Jesus died, his blood was shed you know, when they beat him and he was put on the cross, like the blood that was shed since he was raised three days later, it now, it goes on continuously because he was the purest, most spotless lamb that ever was. Yeah. He had literally no sin. He was blameless. Yeah. And so now his grace is continuously sufficient for us. Amen. Amen. Like every day. Yeah. Hebrews, Hebrews calls him, he is an eternal king, so his reign goes on forever. All right, so Romans 9.30, let's, let's get to this real quick. Romans 9.30 says, what shall we say then, that Gentiles, which is us, who did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And a better translation there, put to shame, is never be disappointed. Listen, we were invited into this covenant. We get to be a part of something that's much greater than we could ever do. We obviously couldn't do it on our own, it says. And this is where we get mixed up when you guys don't have to pursue righteousness. Righteousness has pursued you. It says right there, they did not pursue righteousness, but they've attained it. The Gentiles have attained righteousness that they never pursued. When, when Israel tried to, tried to attain righteousness through the law, and it could never happen. It's, it, it makes sense, really makes sense why they crucified Christ. It makes sense why they were so offended by this gospel. It makes sense why they hated Jesus because of this, and I'm not trying to be anti-Semitic about the whole thing, but it makes sense because their culture for years, for centuries, has led up to this point, and it makes sense that it would be very difficult to convince these people of something because they were a part of a different covenant. They were a part of a covenant that they had these lambs to sacrifice, they had these rituals that they did, they could hear the bell ring, they could smell the incense, they could see everything cut, and this was the things that they did over and over again. And it makes sense that when Jesus came and said, okay, all that's about to pass away, and, and then you're going to have to believe in a new way. Well, which way is this? 
I am that way. What? Yeah, you're going to have to, by the way, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? And when they said this is a hard teaching, I know I joke around about it. This is hard. But seriously, this is hard. That was hard for them. They didn't just didn't go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and, you know, maybe pay a tithe or do this or whatever. They grew up. This is what they taught. This is what they learned. This was their whole lives. Thousands of years of this. And it breaks my heart for, to see, especially modern-day Christians that have the new covenant available to try to go backwards and create this ritualist. God, it just kills me. Try to, try, to, try to take the substance and break it down to the type and shadow. And we do, I see it all the time. They try to break it backwards and go back and say, okay, well, as long as I do this, this, and this, I'm good. No. Hang on. And yet we try to cheapen the gospel to something external. David did horrible things, but God loved his heart. He's after it. it it's, Paul says to know, to know Jesus. Like that's the essence. Like it is about relationship. Like instead of saying, hey, you know, you, you stole that pen from work. You're a thief. So you're going to hell. Why not say you want to know Jesus? He's the kindest, most patient, most smart man I've ever met. Like, you, you can do anything if you're with Jesus. Like, he's so attractive. He's the point of the gospel. It's not reward when we die. It's reward now. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you can pay your bills. You have Jesus. It doesn't matter if the septic tank's overflowing. You have Jesus. It doesn't matter if your car breaks. You have Jesus. That's peace that passes understanding. And that's the goal. He's the goal. Why should we say, oh, you have to read your Bible? You get to read your Bible. Right, exactly. Why should we say you have to go the speed limit? You get to honor him with your speed. Why should we say you have to do this? You have to. Why cheapen it? Right. Just show him Jesus. We, look, we do the same thing with giving. It's like we put a spiritual gun to people's heads and like, did your car break down last week? <laughs> right? It's because you didn't give. And that's what we make this connection with. I need to get back to church. I need to go back to church. No, just change your tires when they go bald. This, this is not that complicated. <laughs> Like, be, be thoughtful of, proactive. be proactive in some of that stuff. Don't get me started on proactive maintenance. Uh, but anyway, so, but yes, we, we cheapen the gospel and say, as, as though, we, I always like this, I think Bill Johnson said it, we treat God the Father like the Godfather. Like, he's like, you better, you better do it or I'm going to get you. No. He has every opportunity to Thanos snap us out of this rig anytime he wants. He has every right and every power and every authority to do it, but he didn't. Why would he treat us that way with the small things? He doesn't. And if, if your coworker wants to steal a pen, he's got infinite pens. <laughs> he's, not, he's not lacking in anything. And I, I hate, and I, I don't use the word hate very much, but I hate when people do take such good news and dilute it down with a law that you can't keep. Because it, it breaks people down. It's the same thing the Pharisees were doing. It was breaking, it was putting loads on them that they themselves could not even carry. And it's what we do if we try to do that to other people. And it's fear and intimidation tactics, which are not the kingdom. Say again? It's fear and intimidation tactics. Oh, yeah. It's like, you're going to go to hell. It's like, how about we actually talk about, like, you know, thing, saying through words. It's trying to bully people into doing what you want. 
Listen, we pulled our kids out of a, we used to go to every vacation Bible school in Mobile for some reason, but we just went to all these different churches. We would let our kids go because we didn't really have one, which is fine. And some of them were good, but there was one that they went to, and Tracy told me what they were saying. I was like, nope, they're out. And it was basically trying to scare them into, I don't want, I don't want my kids to be strong-armed into, <laughs> into the gospel. That's not how this works. You don't have to be strong-armed. If you do, then you, do, you haven't heard the gospel, probably. It's what? It's, it's kindness that leads to repentance, right? Now, when you're born again, do you have to change? No, you can do whatever you want. Listen, I, let me get to it. <laughs> when you're born again, will you change? Yeah, you're gonna. I don't, I don't, huh? Too late. Too late. <laughs> I mean, you did already. You're, you went from being a finite being to an eternal being. It's inevitable. Things are gonna change. What happens, oh man, you're getting me on a tangent here, I'm not even, what, listen, when, when you plant something and it grows, it, even, I don't know why I'm coming back to an acorn, I guess we have, anyway, we have oak trees now, so do acorns make oak trees, is that what they make? Okay, okay, so in an, in an acorn, we never had oak trees, we had stupid pecan trees that were self-pruning and they made messes and then we had pine trees and they made sap and they were horrible, but now we have oak trees and we're super happy. So in a, in a, in, in an acorn is an oak tree, right? It has every potential to be an oak tree in that acorn. Don't be frustrated when you see someone that's born-again Christian and they're not producing all this fruit. Give them time. They're just an acorn. They're a but They're a nut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. give, them, give them time. But here's the thing. An acorn can do nothing but produce an oak tree. That's, it's in its nature. When you were born again, your old nature... It's taken out, and a new nature has been given to you. By default, you are going to change. It is not our jobs to try to push people and force people into that. It's like I always talk about it's like screaming at a, a caterpillar and to turn into a butterfly. <laughs> Hurry up. Just do it faster. Do the thing when you fly. It's better. Give it time. It takes a little bit of time to figure this thing out. Why? This, this thing in our skulls, we have to renew our minds to this new reality. Too many people. Dead. I don't know. What happens to a caterpillar when you try to help it out of the cocoon? I don't know. I've never done it. It dies. Okay, yeah, not good. Because part, part of a, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly is the struggle to get out of the cocoon. Yep. If it can't struggle to get out of the and cocoon, what is, what is the, then it... Then what the does the Bible talk about our salvation? We work it out. Exactly. That doesn't mean we work it on our own. It just means we figure it out as we go. We work it out as we, we live this out. So every, it's, it's amazing. Everything in this planet, everything on this earth, like the Bible says, points to God. Yep. All right. Paula? The struggle makes us stronger, right? The, the difficulties in life, the struggle makes us stronger. The difficulties in life are there to point us in the direction we need to go so that we know, so that we are able to work on the areas in our life where we need to improve. The Lord improves us through that struggle. He carries us. He strengthens us. Right. I want to do a little caveat here, too, is how close are you to God? How close are you to God? Can, huh? In, right? In. You can't, you can't get any closer. Stop striving to get closer to God and start striving to enter into his rest so that you can share that rest with other people. The beauty of grace, I say over and over and over again, is it frees up your calendar. 
You can stop trying to get into a room you're already in, and you can start inviting other people into it. How many times have you gone over and over and over and over and over again trying to confess some sin that you forgot because we've mixed up the scriptures. It says confess your sins one to another. You only confess sin, the nature of your sin, once and for all. How do I know that? Do you remember all of your sins? No. Or do you? Can you remember every single one of your sins to confess them? So by default, that you're, that's broken. <laughs> Unless you can do that and you have a photographic memory, and I don't know that many people that can, you confess your sins once and for all, and it's done right here in your heart. Now, confessing your sins one to another, that's good. That's beneficial. Why do we do that? Because we need each other. We need to understand each other. But when we do that, we get to share what we're going through with other people, that same struggle that we're talking about making stronger. Sometimes we need somebody else to say, no, you're not crazy. I'm dealing with the same thing you're dealing with. Right? Or, listen, I've had this happen before, too. I was sick in a certain way, and I was dealing with this thing, and God healed me here. And someone else may need to hear that. Right? That's how we, that's how we have communion with one another. And when we know that, I keep saying this, like when we know dead as doornails, we are born again, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and he says it a hundred times, them and us, like I am in you, and him and me, and them and us, and we're together, like you and me, and them. You remember that? He says it over and over and over again. He wants to make sure we know this. You're not getting any closer. You're close. Your closeness to God is in the Holy Spirit. It's what he wanted, and he, it worked. He didn't halfway do it. Jesus didn't say, it's kind of finished. But make sure you read your Bible this many times because you, legitimately, how do we quantify that? You can't. It's how we try to bring stuff from the old covenant into this one. If my people who are called by my name, well, how many people? When are you going to heal our land? At what point? Help me quantify this. No. Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the only way. Your performance, performance-based religion produces frustration and aggravation, aggregation, aggravation, and produces more people that are frustrated and aggregated. (laughs) That works too. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. I know we're going a little bit over, but I've got to wrap this up. Stumbling block, um, can't get any closer to Jesus. Uh, John says, the book of John says, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Did he succeed? Yes. Don't worry about the enemy running around roaring like a lion. He ain't hunting anything because he is like a limb that's been broken off. He's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. All right. If so, we submit to God. Romans 10.1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, he's not just talking about intellectual knowledge here. Look at what he's talking about in the next verse. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness... Of whose righteousness? Not theirs, not ours. Of God's righteousness. And and instead, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Do you see it? They were trying to establish their own righteousness. That was their ignorance. And they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Boom. If you ever have anybody want to question you about the difference in law and grace and how we can't mix those two, read them that scripture. He is the end of the law because the law could not give you life. It wanted to. It was good. The law was good. It wasn't bad. It just could not produce in you what Jesus can produce in you, and that's life. It's that restored relationship with the Father. How do you submit to God? Submit to his righteousness. Submit to his rest. When we talk about submission, it's not like, "Ah, God's going to smite me, oh, smiter of smites. (laughs) We don't submit to God out of fear. We submit to 
like even in worship, I was just thinking about, we were singing about his, his hair being white and his eyes like fire and his voice like waters and just, just this, this understanding, this truth of how big and how powerful God is, but yet he draws us near and he comforts us and he, he draws us near and he, he sacrifices himself for us and he knows us and he talks to us and he listens to us and he knows what we're dealing with, even though it's so stupid. Like some of the stuff we deal with, we think is such a big deal and it's so dumb. And he's like, ah, I'm still here. I'm still listening. I'm here for you. We're going to walk together through this. Yeah. And that's the way he's always been. Uh, mm-hmm. We were not taught. But at Mount Sinai, that's what God wanted to do to the children of Israel. He wanted to hold them. He wanted to care for them. He wanted to be their lover and their husband. Mm-hmm. He proposed marriage to them. And all they came back with was fear. Mm-hmm. And God said, okay, we've got an alternate. We've got an alternative. It's not going to be as good. You're never going to be righteous through it. I will send my son to make you righteous. Right. But that love was there, and they had that opportunity. And Paul's, I think, referring to that in that scripture, mm-hmm. that they tried it, and they, they decided they wanted their own righteousness. Yep. And I tell you what, the last place you want to be is approaching the throne in your own righteousness. That is the most dangerous place you could be, thinking that you're going to get somewhere in your own righteousness. Hear me before we move on. The last place you want to be is approaching the throne in, right, in your own righteousness and self-righteousness. But, it, but we approach the throne in what? Grace. It's the only reason we can come boldly is because of the grace through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Yeah. I got a report back on mom. Um, the CT scan was normal, and Good. she just has a small fraction in her nose. Okay. And they're sending her home with pain meds. So thank okay. you, Jesus. Good deal. Well, keep us updated and let us know if she needs anything like during the week, if we can get her anything. Yes. I just, I just wanted to add something back to talking about the fear of the Lord. Um, I guess for us as sons and daughters, fear looks a little bit different. It's more like um, almost now it's like a reverence and wonder. Like you, you don't fear like a mountain, but you're like awestruck by how wonderful and majestic it is. It's and that's like, literally what the, Greek, the word means. Yeah, because so, a lot of times people will say, oh, you, get, you fear you the fear Lord. The Are Lord. you afraid of the Lord? It's like I am just like awestruck by how amazing and wonderful that is, but that fear for us is, is totally different. But like right. you said, a lot of times it gets pushed the other direction. But for us, it's like almost like like bow down and just how amazing he is and how wonderful he is. Right. That's what I feel pretty much every Sunday in worship when you guys are singing. That's what I'm thinking about. When I close my eyes, I'm thinking about how good he is. And sometimes it's overwhelming. And I cry a little bit. It happens. I think uh, for, for better or worse, I think everybody has some aspect of God that they connect with the most I mean some people really just right off the bat they understand God the Father or right off the bat they just quote unquote like get Jesus I, I don't know but you, you know what I mean like you know like um, but I remember talking to Lauren one time about like um, I'll call it like scary revelation Jesus <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know I was, I was saying like you know I really I really understand I, I feel like I got a good grasp on you know God the Father and he says, but, I, but you know, I've, I've maybe just because of like my church upbringing or something, like there's always been like this, you know, songs like the song we sang today, you know, describing like, you know, physical, like resurrected Jesus. I'm just, I was talking to her one time. I was like, you know, I just, I, I sometimes have a hard time like connecting with those. I got no problem with like, you know, the cross and the gospel songs. I love those. And she was like, well, well, the way I think about it is like, you know, Jesus is, you know, high and exalted and all this like you know like sword coming you know just and and I'm just like wow he loves me 
And like it puts that all, it's not just like, you know, like the demon seeing that and just being terrified. It's like we see that and we're like, wow, he yeah. loves me, that guy. Right. And so just that, that fear context just like washes away. Right. And it's like you behold him and it's like, wow. Yeah, we're not, he looks at us and it's not like looking at his enemies. I mean, you should be afraid. <laughs> it's right. pretty scary, you know, but it goes back to the all thing, you know. Okay. Here's my... You behold, just like the, the elders and the cherubim around the throne, they behold the lamb and they're just like, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. It's just like, that's all you can do. As soon as you behold that, you're just awestruck. And all you right. can do is praise. Right. It's really cool. A long time. Like forever. See, see, and I always thought about. I always thought about. Um, even when I was younger, I thought about heaven. People talk about heaven, and like, you go up there and you're just gonna be worshiping God. And I always thought, and I'm just being transparent here. I was like, that seems lame. Like all we're gonna be doing is, I mean, I'm just being real. Like all we're gonna be doing is singing. I don't even sing that well. I'm just being real. Like I'm gonna have to sing forever and ever and ever and ever. But, huh? There's eating right this feast. So. What I, what I, well, no, what, what, I did, what I began to discover once I really looked at Scripture and understood how, how relationship works and kind of a combination of a few things we just talked about, um, how big and good and powerful God is and also how the relationship is, has been restored and how hell really is defined as eternal separation from God. So hell is separation. So if you imagine... Um, there's a scene, I think it's in uh, Father of Lights, maybe. It's one of the Darren Wilson films um, where a father's reunited at the end at the airport. Y'all remember that? And it's that kind of thing where there are way, and, and there's laughing and there's crying and there's just like these waves. And if you're, you're reconciled to someone that you've missed, like a father or a loved one, and you've been apart for a while or whatever, um, to me, once I realized that, that's what that is speaking of, that it's like, you know, you laugh and you cry and you, you talk and you catch up and you ask questions and you laugh and you cry. And that's, that's what I imagine. Yes, there's worship and there's, you're in awe, but there's also this, just, this relationship. And to me, I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. Like, I could, I could be down with that for eternity. Like, there's th- that, to me, not that we could really even describe exactly what it is, but I think we, in some ways, we've kind of cheapened it as though it's just us going, yeah, 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 over and over and over again. It's deeper than that. I think it is very relational. It's very personal. I think that corporately we will all be doing that in one way, shape, or form. But personally, I think it's going to be it's going to be in that way that, uh, just like Daniel was saying, we all kind of relate a different way to our Father, and he, it'll be like that forever. We'll, we'll be reconciled, and we'll be together, and we'll have just wave after wave of laughing and wave after wave of just being in awe, and it'll just be good over and over and over again. Anyway, and I thought about that. Yes? And I love singing to him, and I don't have the most beautiful voice, but when I think about how he loves me, no matter what I've done, everything in my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the terrible turns I've made, that he straightened my path, and I just get so overwhelmed. I just want to sing. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to come here. Thank you all for your beautiful voices because it covers up mine. I just want to <laughs> sing out, and I just I just get overwhelmed. And so when I'm here and I'm cleaning and Michael's in here vacuuming, he can't hear me, thank God. Um, I'm in the other part of the church, and I'm... I'm like even when I'm scrubbing the toilets and I'm just singing and I just it, I just want to sing out and I, I enjoy singing most when I'm here by myself and Michael's in here because then I can sing louder because I don't have somebody looking over me in church <laughs> and they're looking at me like oh my goodness please just lower that down you know that's awesome but I, I really enjoy the fact that so many people stand around me and they sing out and they have the beautiful voice because God hears my voice 
as as I hear their voices. Yeah. You know, they, they have such beautiful voices, but he hears me. He hears my heart. Yeah. And it just is such a wonderful connection. And I love coming to worship and to sing out. Yeah. And I, I just love the fact he loves me anyway. I remember uh, Tracy and I cleaned the church for years. And I remember that was my job was to vacuum in here. And I would do the same thing. I put my headphones in and I would just pray and worship as we vacuumed. And that was, that was my thing. And then Tracy did all the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. She did. I just vacuumed. That's all I did. But I'm, she, was, she was probably worshiping too, but she was doing the harder stuff. All right. Well, um, yeah, we're already way over. So we were talking about Jesus, so it's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we're, I didn't even get to the main. You, you guys know. We're, and we have, the cool thing about Sundays is we get another one next week, and we can talk about it more. So I want to get more into the new covenant, and basically the, the, we'll talk more about it as we, we move on. So stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. And, um, cool. This has been fun. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you that, uh, Lord, that you brought us all together to talk about you. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we have to, to just worship you and to speak uh, of the good news of the gospel. Lord, thank you for the new covenant. Lord, thank you that um, we don't have to, to try to jump through all these hoops. The only hoop we jump through is, is believing in your son. Lord, you told us that, uh, you know, when we were asking, the, the disciples were asking, what must we do to inherit this kingdom? And you said, uh, they said, what works must, must we do? You said, Lord, you said the only work that, that you need to do is to believe. And so, Father, thank you that it's as simple as that, that we could just believe. So I pray that anyone in here that has not experienced that, Lord, that they would. Lord, it's that simple that they would just believe on you, and you, you can completely change their lives and make it so much better. Lord, I just thank you for your truth, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great day, great week.